Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. Machine. My name is Kyle. And I'm not Italian. And I'm the machine. Or, as they say, Italian, as I saw in Rocky, right? This is, of course, a podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. We are in this weird kind of like... Uh, purgatory. Just purgatory call it we're space. In purgatory, yeah. Suffering with no end. Where we have yet to start our new season. Uh-huh. Uh, so we are just t- taking this time to check off films that maybe we are embarrassed that we have not seen before. And they also happen to be on the Letterboxd Top 250. So they're guaranteed to be good. Are you embarrassed that easily? I, I mean, I... Oh, I am. There's certain movies that's like, I really should have seen this before I was 40 years old. Eh. The guy who like literally texted me every day for seven months until I watched The Seven Samurai. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, it took you seven months when it should have yeah. just been one CD. I wouldn't have made fun of you so much, Kyle, except if anybody who follows you on Letterboxd, they would see that it's 60% garbage. You spend so <laughs> much time watching garbage. You could just a lot. Anyway, Steve, I haven't even gotten through the intro here. So the machine still threatens <laughs> our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the film Bicycle Thieves. <laughs> a big thank you to our patrons over on patreon their contributions help us continue the show since you know the machine does not help us pay for these movies plus each month we do a bonus episode over there dave i'm i'm feeling good earth is in the window here i think there's a window okay yeah yeah. we said there's a window like a paned window are we in a cabin or are we back in a spaceship yeah it's a cabin Think of it this way. If anyone needs a visual, you know how in The Wizard of Oz, how like the, the cyclone or the tornado comes and picks up the house and then it lands and it's now in technicolor and then widescreen as Dorothy walks out of the house for the very first time. Yes. That's essentially us. We're still spinning in the in the cyclone. We saw a DDS on a broom like laugh at us out the I window. I thought we chucked her out the door. Okay, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we saw her spinning around and we saw Toto spinning around out there. The band. Not the dog. We saw wow. the band Toto. How many members around out there? How many members are in Toto? Four. Twelve. <laughs> I have no Full idea. brass section. <laughs> no idea. They do have enough bands to make the rains down in Africa. So <laughs> it's probably toe and toe. Two guys. Once again, I have no idea what you two are talking about. Uh, anyways, so we are spinning around up here. We're almost back to Earth. This is very exciting for us because we've been so out of time and place for so long here. Out of touch, as many people say. I'm feeling good. We're going to push this next button here to reveal what year we are going to be going into next on our next season. You revealed that it starts with a two. Yes. So we're in the 21st century. I'm going to push this button. Oh, wow. Okay, so it actually gave us the next two numbers. Mm -hmm. Zero and one, Dave. We're going to be in the 2010s of some kind. Uh, I don't know. It's so weird to watch movies people actually remember. Oh, this is, this is my big bugaboo about this, which is people should know about those other movies, the older movies, but they don't because they are the pretentious ones. <laughs> they yeah. think that only things that made in the last five years could possibly be good. Yeah. Well, I saw an article, some new quote unquote rapper was talking about how Nas and Biggie are shit and we need to mm-hmm. get over it. <laughs> hey, love it. Good times. Good times. This week of course we are talking about italian film one of the most culturally significant films of all time really okay definitely has inspired a great many people like martin scorsese calls this one of his favorite movies all the time he constantly talks about bicycle thieves as well as a lot of other big name american directors this is usually a big touch point i wish your face would make a touch point with my fist I learned about this first, honestly, in school, in university. I took a film, a couple of film courses there. I never saw the film back then, but this is something that's referenced all the time. <laughs> like the uh, this is Italy's Uncle Antoine. A little bit. We, we talked about this when we reviewed Knights of Cabiria, the Fellini film. This is 
part of the Italian neorealism movement. Do you remember what neorealism means, Dave? Yeah, it's real and it's new. The two big things are this. Absolutely no filming in a studio setup. They're out in the streets. They're out in the real places and and locations that this was uh, happening. And two, very often... These were not trained actors. Uh, and in fact, in this film in particular, like this was an actual factory worker that they got. This was just a little kid that they got off the streets to come and be in this movie. Like these were not trained actors that they were getting to be in their movies. Because they wanted to be real, Dave. They needed to be real. That's all I ever ask for. Some veracity, mm-hmm. some truth in media. I, I think that's not too much to ask for. <laughs> I would definitely say that if the closest was when we were talking about 1971, there was definitely stuff happening on sets and stuff in, in those, but I feel there was this push of like more naturalistic acting. Like they were really trying to push that and like going onto the streets and being raw and gritty and stuff like that, that the sixties wasn't, isn't really known for in American filmmaking. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's definitely a tone for the younger filmmakers to want to develop and use their own language. So at the same time then, no, this is a little bit earlier. What's American new wave? That's like the seventies and eighties, right? Yeah. Or no. Seventies to the early eighties. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so the Italian neo realism movements, what forties? Forties into the sixties, late fifties, maybe into the early sixties. You could stretch it. And we were in Taiwan. That was in the nineties. Their new mm-hmm. wave, like eighties, uh, late Japanese 80s. new wave was in the seventies as well. That seventies into the eighties. Yeah. If we were smarter, we would have put together a brief, cultural timeline just to see where this push for neorealism comes from like when we watch throw away your books what was happening in japan mm-hmm. in the seven we actually we talked about that a little bit the youth culture is like just fucking tired of baby boomer talk and in italy yeah. this looks more like just tired of fascism <laughs> that's really what like i mean i can tell you what is at least cited again someone who has a deeper knowledge of this might have some like qualifications on this but it's normally the movie rome open city is considered to be the big thing that starts it and that's mid 40s somewhere just somewhere in the, the mid 40s okay. just as the war is ending and you're right there people are like just done with fascism they're done with the war there's a bunch of bomb cities that they have to and you uh, Italy. This film too, to be honest. Yeah. We don't want the artificiality around ourselves anymore. We want to engage with what is actually happening I in real no life. No choice to. Yeah, no choice but to. Okay. It's, it's, it's interesting because I think we live in a culture right now, unless you have a completely different opinion on this, there are exceptions to this and certain auteurs that are, that are an exception to this. By and large, I think our culture right now is like embracing artificiality. Like that is what yeah, of course. We want. And it seems like people crave. But that's American culture. American culture is about the veneer. And yeah, we saw in 71 that there was this lapse and uh, the art and intellectual dialogue was allowed to kind of come up into the public sphere. But the reality of the American dream, as you and I are now so keen on, is that it's all been a propaganda piece and America's been in uh, crisis control for the last, you know, 40 years and they keep getting punched in the face with different things, be it uh, Gulf War, terrorism, and now coronavirus, Trump, whatever, whatever you can name every year, there's a cultural mm-hmm. crisis in America and uh, their media arm is not willing to uh, take it on. Even the indie films are not talking about the American diaspora or the American experience. They're just talking about just being weird. I wonder if this will prove true when we talk about the year we're about to talk about. <laughs> Just Maybe you'll be proven wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. But <laughs> at any rate, America's kind of a funny place. But let's get to it. Let's talk about some Italians. I've got great opinions about Italians. I mean, okay, well, <laughs> save your racism for later in the episode, Dave. Do you have a history with no. this film? No, I've never heard of it before. I think that is the more bizarre thing. Not that you haven't seen it, but you haven't even heard of it. Because it is. This would be basically, I think, like someone not hearing about The Seven Samurai. Whether you've seen it or really? not. Like, it's that famous, I would say. I would put it on the same level. Well, you're still on uh, Elon Musk's social media. Although you only talk to nerds. But I would bet that, at least in North America, the average person will have heard of Seven Samurai more than a movie called Bicycle Thieves. There's no way, Kyle, that uh, you can compare these two films. I guess looking at another movie, I would say it's the same as, have you heard of the movie Eight and a Half? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I would put it on that I would level. put eight and a half. No, I would put eight and a half on the level of seven samurai. And I haven't seen eight and a half. It's been on my no, watch I either, but, yeah. but every that's the thing. Like if you say eight and a half, everybody in North America will know that it's probably a movie and that it's somehow important. At least people our age. I don't know what kids these days. If people are out there dissing Eminem because he's too old, you know, there's something wrong with kids, but but I've never heard of bicycle thieves. The Matrix know. snooze fest. Yeah, and then well, they walk my away brother's from you. kids started laughing watching Alien because they thought yeah, it was yeah. stupid. <laughs> you know, they're stupid. No, it's the kids who are wrong. You'd have to be in a film class to have heard of this. Like, why would anybody know what Martin Scorsese likes? They just want to watch the movies he makes. Who watches interviews with Martin Scorsese other than Kyle Marshall? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, well. Let's get into it here then. We're going to go for a short break. And then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about bicycle thieves. You ever had your bicycle stolen? No, actually. I don't think my bike, I've, I don't think I've ever had a bike that's been thieved. It's pretty good. You, you live in Toronto even. That's pretty, well, pretty nice. Well, I, I only had a bike when I was a kid and we lived in a, I mean, it was a low income neighborhood, but like it was never a thing. That was one of those, it was the 80s and everybody just, you know, like in that Michael Moore movie everybody had the door open you just walked around all the kids just mm -hmm. ran around the street and then we moved to the suburbs yeah we didn't really ride our bikes anymore it just changed and then i didn't pick up a bike till i moved here as a man mm -hmm. in my 40s i've got the ultimate hipster dad bike so if anyone tried to nice. steal that thing oh did i tell you a story about i do like the pink tassels i do think that is a nice touch did i tell you about the story of the bike thieves in our condo no. Would you like to know that story for the context would, of this? Well, I mean, this is called Bicycle Thieves, this episode, so we might as well. So our condo building had a rash of break-ins. Like, it was just <laughs> happening uh, at first, like, twice a year. And then in this one uh, spot, it happened, like, three times in two months. It was kind of crazy. And when we watched the security cam videos, it basically looks like they could just walk into the building. So this one heist, they got their way into our garbage room, which doubles as a bike rack room. And because there's mm -hmm. a lot of people with very, very nice things in this building, some of the bikes there are, like, probably those $10,000, $15,000, right. like, proper you know, real bikes. And so they did this bike uh, heist and every single one of the bikes was taken except mine, Helen's and Emerson's. And my dad bike helmet was placed on top of the security camera <laughs> to block the footage. So they, they just expected uh, or blamed you, basically. <laughs> I wasn't even framed. They're just like, we're not taking this piece of shit. There's, we're not going to get anything for it. It's probably worth, you know, like a hundred bucks. So no, I've never had my bike stolen, but I was uh, judged, Kyle. I've been judged on my choice of bicycles. Was Were the criminals a caricature of an Italian uh, youth? Totally. like, I'm a walking here, uh, daddy. <laughs> I like this spike. No, no. But that's why, as Kyle knows, because he comes over here occasionally, our security now is fucking ridiculous. What a pain yeah, in the ass. Yeah, I was interrogated by uh, a resident of your building once. Like, who are you? What are you standing here for? What's their name? I don't what like are you your face. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, I'm just waiting. That was pretty serious. A guy walked out mm. with a framed canvas, like, under his arm. Super weird. Well, of course... Um, I should let you know that Kyle and Dave versus the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode is brought to you by Taproot Spotlight, a service that helps businesses and organizations pay attention to the people they serve. Taproot tells you the news about the people and companies that are important to you. Use that information internally to keep everyone on the same page or share it with the world in your newsletter, on your website, and on your social media channels. Paying attention pays dividends. Find out more at taprootpublishing.ca slash spotlight. That's taprootpublishing.ca slash spotlight. Great. Thanks, Kyle. As you mm -hmm. know, we're part of the Alberta Podcast Network. And because I didn't put any forethought into this, I'm going to just click this link that asks one of our buddies to share exactly what their podcasts are about, because mm. uh, I haven't uh, looked at this at all. Have you heard of right. Quantum Kickflip? I have. What is that? It sounds interesting. It's a Let's Play podcast. What is that? Using, it's role-playing. Oh, Like okay. Dungeons and Dragons, but not Dungeons and Dragons. Like they make up their own thing? Mm-hmm. That's kind of neat. In the small prairie town of Hillview. In the center of town, Hillview's single traffic light shifts from red to green. 
which has no effect whatsoever as Main Street is, as usual, completely devoid of traffic. Bored teenagers use their modified hoverboards to sneak into other dimensions. An abandoned cityscape lives half buried in the sand. Welcome to the multiverse. It's dangerous. The entire right side of her body looks like uh, just a glitched out mess. It's stupid. And then I immediately uh, turn around and punch him. It's got parent groups in a panic. Just don't do it, okay? Hugs, not slugs. All right, thank you. <laughs> and it's the coolest thing ever. This is Slug Blaster. Well, your funeral and ours, I guess. And then Angus points and fires. There's an explosion, a burst of slime goes flying. Your reign of terror has come to an end. It, it kind of scrambles and glitches out. And you can see that this, this is like a smoking crater where your ray gun hit. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> Quantum Kickflip. A Slug Blaster actual play podcast, part of the Alberta Podcast Network. All right, Dave. So we have uh, sat down and watched this film here together, but we should think of a scenario here to let the people who are listening, if they have not seen the film, a little bit in on what like the plot is. Spoilers afoot. I'm just going to say that at the very beginning. Spoilers afoot. So, Dave, you and I have decided we're going to go downtown and hang posters. We're going to get some glue, and we're just going to hang some quality art posters up uh, before the cops find us. And as we're doing this... Um, Isn't that called whitewashing? A, uh, that's what we call this podcast, Dave, actually. <laughs> <You're is saying. laughs> Isn't that when they brush the glue to... Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and as we're doing this, of course, a uh, young child, dewy-eyed... You just turn... Like, in who- this modern era... You would just turn around and walk away. You just walk who away. Only, who only respects his daddy comes <laughs> up to us and is like, has <laughs> second red flag. The bicy- has, <laughs> has bicycle thieves on VHS. Third red flag. underneath his arm. Uh-huh. And he comes up to you and says like, please, sir, tell me what this well, movie what's is this about. this movie about? Like that? He's eating a single meatball in his <laughs> other hand, actually. It's wild. Anyway, so what is, uh, what is this movie about, Dave? Last time we were called racist on YouTube. Wasn't it about Italians as well? It sure was. Fucking so hell. I'm sure we will be called that it's again. It's amazing. If you had to do sort of a VHS DVD jacket, I would say a struggling, he's not a factory worker, a struggling worker in post-war Italy uh, has, job. His, has his chance at saving his family taken away when his bike is stolen by a street thief or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Something like that. Technically, it's a network of thieves, but yes. That well, is now true. you're just trying to spoil it. Now you're just trying to ruin it. Neither of you have to try and ruin something. That's just your nature. So Dave, what were your thoughts on this movie? Yeah, this movie's great. I I love watching movies where, I mean, we bring this up all the time, where I don't have to look at the clock or worry about mm-hmm. where I'm at in my day. And this is quite an engrossing I mean, film. Yeah, it's pretty short too, I should we should say. I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. Kyle, mm-hmm. I just said I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> I think, of course, there's always, it's always hard to understand the language of like bygone era international film, right? I think we saw this with Knights Mm -hmm. of Kiberia. So this is an Italian film made for Italians in 1940 or whatever. And so like some of the things they do, the, not anachronisms, but what do you call it? When they, when he's looking for his buddy and they go into the catacombs, like little things like that can stick out. Now I've kind of read around these things in my life so you know that this is a sort of a communist gathering or like a, a place for people mm-hmm. to to kind of hang out um not just for the speech but they're performing i mean i can kind of code that and and like place it together but little things like that kind of jump out at you but i think the overall film is fascinating it's always refreshing but it's also challenging to watch non-american films because at the end of this it's kind of like a big fuck you isn't it <laughs> they're well, just like in what way they're just like hey Human beings uh, suffer, and then they can make shitty choices. And hey, yeah, okay, we'll yeah, see you for next it. film. Yeah, that's the thing at the beginning about American films, right? There's yeah. no way this would be allowed to show. I do believe that yes, if this was remade in America, well, if a studio remade this, we should put that out there. If a studio remade this, there would absolutely be a more happy or a more traditional happy ending. I think tacked on to the end of this, or like when you're talking about Silence, speaking of Scorsese, there might have to be another twenty minutes added to it. To just mm-hmm. soften the blow or to add one more dimension about, like, if you're going to go this way, like, blaming a pariah in American government. Like, this is Trump's fault right. or this is whatever, right? Joe Biden's fault. Whereas this one's more like human condition. You know, we're all poor. Life sucks. And uh, if you get pushed too hard, 
you'll break. I mean, for me, like I quite like this movie too. Uh, I, I think that everything you just said is there for sure. For me, I honestly thought one of the biggest through lines through this entire film was kind of this idea of shame. I, I really do think that that is what is driving the main character. He's ashamed that he doesn't have a job. He's ashamed that he has to ask his wife to sell her bed sheets. He's ashamed that he lost the bike. He's ashamed that he has to steal a bike uh, at the very end. And even more ashamed that he sees that his son just saw him stoop down to that level. And there is that tiny bit of human kindness where the guy decides, I'm not going to have this guy be arrested. But the main character now just have to live with the fact that he thought he was a better person than what he ultimately was. Better, There's morality and stuff that's being thrown around with that. But it, it, that's what I found the most fascinating. I mean, it's not just World War II and European thinking, but any philosophical ethical thought that comes out of a war or great suffering you know when you see people at their worst you have to ask the question you know what would i do movies like this are fascinating or books or or anything i think what grabs hold in this is that it's not just this man who's like this um fictional character i'm i'm watching myself and i'm asking myself uh, if we're at the stage where my wife has to pawn off our bed sheets and we're gonna sleep without blankets on a fucking mattress because we don't have any food and then i get an opportunity for some job and and you know what was interesting is how how much that poster hanging job was going to pay it was it felt a little extreme like it made it seem mm. like this was this was a gift from god right like there's it's not just a meager thing where now we can have an extra bit of cabbage in our soup charlie right it's it's mm -hmm. not that it's like it, so it pushes um i don't know what would you even say like it challenges this capitalist model like this idea that all he needed was money when really maybe at the end what he needed was a better self-respect like shame is interesting i i would like to have someone talk about how you delineate shame and desperation because mm. I don't know if he had succeeded with that bike theft, I don't think he would have been ashamed of it. And I think at the point that he is having that brutal debate in his mind about how, how low he's willing to go, I read it less as shame and more just pride, if anything, that he can't go on letting his family uh, suffer. You know, he's not even bad at his job. It has nothing to do with his personal existence. You know, there's people who are not good at what they do that that's a little different i don't think you're wrong it's just it's just interesting it's it's quite a lot of dimensions i think when you make a, a realist film like this and you watch somebody um suffering what's well, i mean it's not like him being whipped or anything this is all in many ways mental becoming more and more desperate and angry yeah it's just and, super and engaging the entire way i don't want to wait to the end to, to just to state this i feel this is my my one like major criticism of this movie i feel but like if i had stolen a bike and I'm going downhill. I'm pretty sure I could have outrun those people. I just don't think he was pedaling fast enough. I think he could have gotten away with that bike. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, you mean, uh, well, like at the end? Yeah, at the very end. He didn't want it enough, Dave. I don't know. I, I, I don't know how you are on a bike. It's, uh, you know, as soon as you have to turn a corner, you're fucked. You know, like, <laughs> and the one thing that I think is interesting, A, I mean, that's an Italian bike. It might be a fixed gear bike with a shit mm -hmm. gear ratio. So it's not like you're just going to pump your legs. He's been running around all day, but also be, you know, these poorer countries, older countries is just people and fucking cars and bikes everywhere. There is no straight line, right? They may have opened a path for the camera shot, but anytime I've been in any kind of population dense uh, society, it's not like here. Here, we design all of our thoroughfares for cars because we right. worship cars, but any like old city, it's cobblestones and fucking, you know, you look Bumpy the wrong way and, and you, you smash into a baby pram. You know, at, at that point, uh, he's not thinking very clearly. I so. mean, he does see that his son has been watching him. So I wonder how. Yeah. That son, by the way, I do want to spend like 25 minutes on this topic. Um, <laughs> is is the like most the Italian most stereotypical <laughs> Italian. I was cracking up everything that yeah, came man. out of his mouth. I'm, I am full, daddy. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I'm just like, oh my God. He's like a 40-year-old Italian man in a nine-year-old's yeah. body. It, I mean, he even had a job. More Italian than his dad is. <laughs> like, it's just wild. He's working the pumps at a gas station <laughs> in overalls. <laughs> it's adorable. I'm pretty sure that kid grew up to be Joe Pesci. Well, what's it, why is he there? Innocence? Just, uh, he doesn't really... Yeah, I think so. Because uh, apparently, we'll find this out in the backstory, I don't think that originally there was a there was a 
sign in this movie. It was just going to follow the dad from what I can read between the lines because that kid is not hired until a few weeks into filming. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's great that he's in there. Like you were bringing up at the end, I think it is put in to maybe help us understand how desperate the dad is. Maybe they thought having a kid was a way to dangle redemption. Otherwise, maybe this Mm. story gets too cold, you know, and it's just about a guy that is always going to make the wrong decision. So I I think it is a good visual as well, I guess, of him and his son just walking through the streets together and and trying to make it it work. Like, I I don't think that this film, I mean, there is a comment on class. I I don't want to just brush past that. I don't think that's mostly overriding messages. Like there's the one scene where they go for spaghetti, right? And you kind of see the difference between the more rich family versus them. But the whole movie is about class, Kyle. It starts I, off with them unable to find work because there's no work to be doled out at well, the sorry, end, right? I mean, the mm-hmm. whole thing is about class. What I'm trying to say is that there is not this like continual like flashback between the higher class and the lower classes. We stay with the one. Well, that's the American. Person. That's the American dialogue, right? When yeah. they want to comment on it, the American dialogue has to have every scene with a fat, rich asshole and <laughs> sure. a poor, desperate, right? But the reality is we're in the lower class, <laughs> not because we mm-hmm. don't make enough money, but because the potential for us to actually uh, spread influence is minuscule, if not zero. And then some person like a Jeff Bezos is literally an emperor, right? So we would never appear in a scene together in real life. It would be impossible. Mm-hmm. If you told the story of two guys running a podcast, uh, we don't go into a restaurant where Jeff Bezos exists. It's just no. impossible. Uh, I think this movie is absolutely about class. I, I get more of a post-fascist uh, wrestling with communist vibe than I get uh, anything else. This is, this is asking a lot of uh, those political questions for sure i mean the police can't help the community rallies around the thief yeah, the, the police are ineffectual they but... try to do the right thing it's not like the co- police are corrupt they just have no power i think that's right. also an interesting message right they believe him they know the guy's a thief and they just can't like, do anything yeah what, what else are we going to do we'd have to send our entire force out and be monitoring the streets 24 7 for this one bike we're yeah. just not going to do that there it's interesting the other films i watched around this movie this was by no choice of my own like no intentional choice on my own but this week i also watched the grapes of wrath from 1940 <laughs> nice um have you ever seen that movie i read the book did they uh no i've never seen the movie did they make another one in the 90s I don't think so. Okay. Um, they may have made it made for TV, but from what I did research, there's only been the one adaptation, film okay. adaptation of it. Um, How do you it's make the good. Uh, Wrath into a film? They make, uh, the, the entire second half is completely different from the book. So if you read the book, yeah. it is very different. Uh, anyways, it's, it's quite strong. Like, I actually quite quite like the movie. It basically ends on a, on a socialist message, which is like that pretty interesting for 1940s we may need that right now but mm-hmm. okay keep going so I, I saw that as far as like the class strife but from an american point of view and but like to our point kind of has to end on a more hopeful message even though spoiler alert for the grapes of wrath our main character has died what and then you have like his mother and father i think anyways two characters he was traveling with but you know what the 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 workers of America are going to rise up, and we're always going to come out ahead. Do 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 do. And Queen it's, it's comes like, on. Okay, yeah. So we have that, and then I also watched the Japanese film uh, Grave of the Fireflies. Oh wow, where'd you find that? Oh, not. Okay. I, I found it. I found it. Actually, it was on Apple. I rented it on Apple. I still haven't seen uh, that. Which only had the English dub. There was no way for me uh, to watch the Japanese considered version. One of, of the most movie. crushing animes ever made. Yeah, I can I it. tell you this is this is my uh, hot take that happened this hot week. Take. Yeah, I didn't like it <laughs> as much as I thought I was going to. I didn't hate it, but to this point where I found this film stronger, I found Bicycle Street Thieves stronger as a narrative is that you have this guy in a desperate situation, right? Like he's no income, he needs to get food, he needs to help support his family. He's going to spend an entire night or two nights going around trying to find these thieves and trying to enact justice. So like. There's always action. There's, he's moving forward and trying to better it. I got actually kind of annoyed at Grave of the Fireflies. Like it is, there's haunting images and there is some like brutal scenes that happen in there. But I could not shake the fact of like, why? But why aren't you helping your young sister? <laughs> like they just sit there and do nothing over and over and over again. And I get they're two kids. 
but they show other kids they're going and joining the war effort and like supplying and helping their families and the main character is just not doing that and it just frustrated me to no end but all three of these films are kind of talking about similar things mm-hmm. like all around similar wartime era. Yeah. same era different countries all doing different things from very different perspectives. So anyways, I just thought it was interesting. I watched this film just kind of randomly in amongst these other films that are all talking about the same thing. Uh, I mean, obviously, I've, I just said uh, I haven't seen Grave of the Fly- uh, Fireflies, but are these films we need right now? <laughs> there's uh, here is what I'm gonna, here's what I'm gonna say. discussion we need to have right now about these problems. But I think what we're coming up with is like, it just feels, I'll speak for myself, it just feels like that uh, capitalism as an institution just doesn't seem to be working all that well for the majority of people. It's failing. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, it's failing. I, I've never had a problem. I don't have a problem with making money. Let me just put it that way. No. I don't have that as a problem. The, the problem isn't money. The problem with capitalism is equating just money to human value. And I think that... Mm-hmm. You know, exchange of services and, and an idea of commerce is not in itself a poison. I think the problem is circa 1920s, the American economic revolution, if you want to call it that, decided that the weight of capital would outweigh uh, human suffering because human suffering is immeasurable, right? We can't compare apples to apple uh, oranges or whatever we want to, whatever a correct metaphor it is. Uh, you know, what you've been through in your life, Kyle, is going to be fundamentally different than what I've been through. But nobody can say that you haven't suffered as much as I have or vice versa. It's just, it just doesn't make sense. And so, because I think we have a problem, you know, empathizing with that, they went, capitalism went the polar opposite way and said, well, we can't do it. So, fuck that. Here's something we can measure gold initially. And then it was American bank notes. And when that takes over, it's like, I think that's the thing about this movie one of the striking parts for me wasn't that she sold uh, the bedsheets, but when the guy's climbing the shelf, because everybody sold their bedsheets. And yeah. when the guy's un- like buying back his bike, it's not a bike. It's a fucking room full of everybody's bikes because everybody has pawned their fucking bikes to eat food. And I think that's right. why for me, this movie uh, was so impactful because as much as it's about this one man... And I have to reflect on what I might do in that situation. Uh, it is also quite a haunting sketch of Italy at the time, of Rome at the time, because there are people running around in cars and you know eating at yeah, that fa- I, fancy restaurant. But I, I think again, like a, maybe it's not stated directly to the viewer in dialogue or anything like that. But how ridiculous or how money doesn't really make sense or that doesn't it isn't actually a thing. And what I mean by that is that fact, like everyone is just circulating the the same money and banknotes around to pawn, get this, go and buy this back. Come back. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I also think that as a whole, it's not working. And we're seeing the seams now. We're seeing so many people on the street. We're seeing these stories. Like uh, it's not COVID that's destroying hospitals, right? It's like there's no money. There's no people mm-hmm. with expertise. There's no way to expand the stuff on public infrastructure. We can't build another hospital. We can't do any of these things. Food costs have gone up. We'll blame COVID because it's a great monster, but it was going up anyways. We had an oil crash here with known manipulation of the market by what is it opec or whatever they are in the middle Mm -hmm. east the big uh the group to fight a political war against something like it's just a mess i just don't have a solution which is why i don't really like talking politics you know i don't want to be a revolutionary because i can't fight what you can do though you can steal bicycles that's what you can do no it's 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 hard it's difficult it's like i'm not smart enough with a political science or even like the full history of the world to be like this is where this is how we got to be here but have you ever read smart people talk they have absolutely no idea either Right. I've tried to, I, when I was studying philosophy and I have some friends with doctorates, when you read academic texts, the number of disclaimers that, pre, you know, in the preamble, because it is so over complex. That's why you don't have books published by academics about what we ought to do. You just have people on YouTube mm-hmm. who are just like, I think I'm a doctor, but what you should do is stop eating vegetables. That's the world we live in right now. So I haven't eaten a vegetable since 1985. To do some backstory here, this movie did open up on November 24th, 1948, currently rated 4.2 on Letterboxd. That makes it the 120th film on the top 250. It is rated 8.3 on IMDb, which makes it the 121st film on their top 250. Doesn't have a rating on Metacritic, but on Rotten Tomatoes, from 68 critics, it has a 99%, and from 25,000 plus users, it has a 94%. It is available on DVD or Blu-ray, you can rent it on iTunes or Google Play, and you can stream it on the Criterion channel. 
budget and box office at this time, it's always a little bit nebulous. But like what I found was that its budget was converted into American dollars was one hundred and thirty three thousand. And its box office was four hundred and twenty eight thousand. Uh, which would be roughly $5 million today. I don't know if that was just the Italian release. That's where I got, I couldn't figure that out. Regardless, it was still, it was a hit. It made four times its budget. Like there's no way that it would not have been seen as a bit of a hit. Its plot description from IMDb is, in post-war Italy, a working class man's bicycle is stolen, endangering his efforts to find work. He and his son set out to find it. Uh, and to kill. <laughs> With a very specific That's the John Wickification yeah. of this of this story. Specific set of skills. Um, I wish I could play a game with you, Dave, but uh, there is no tagline to this movie. I was really hoping there was, and we could have you uh, speaking Italian. It would have been hilarious. It stars Lamberto Maggiorani as Antonio, uh, Enzo Staiola as Bruno, and Leonella Carell as Maria. Well, they're not actors. I just no, briefly with the main guy, you know, I, you, you must have seen this, but it's really almost tragic that, uh, mm. and the price of fame, right? So he's in this film mm. and then everybody thought that he was a millionaire, but he got paid a decent amount. I don't know, 300,000 yeah, bucks or whatever it was. And then he got fired from his actual job at the factory when they downsized because they thought he was well off and he could like never find work again. <laughs> no. I think yeah. he ended up at another and factory, he... but he just- was Didn't also, I think he was dubbed as well. I don't think that's his actual voice. Oh, even in the Italian one. Well, I didn't see yeah. that part, but you know, he's at least visually, I was Striking. expecting him to have had a film career. He could have, you know, he definitely has a lot of character in his face. If his uh, audio was dubbed, then I, I really ought not to have an opinion whether it's a miss that uh, Italian cinema ignored him. Maybe. You know, maybe he had a squeaky wheel voice. I have no idea. In this film, he's got a lot of gravitas and I really followed him. The kid, I'm not surprised, didn't really have a career because he's really a pantomime Italian I know. Italian I child. love him in this movie. He's so good. <laughs> <laughs> he's a cartoon character, man. So it's mm -hmm. hard, uh, especially in a neorealist environment for him to get cast right. in anything. He's a fucking vaudeville clown. It's like, hey, da -da -da -da. I'm surprised he didn't do a couple. Of oh no, he did fall on his face and get up. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, we need a couple of... Somersaults or something. Pratt falls, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to the point where I wonder if that even was in the script. And it looked, was like, go with it. It's yeah, great. yeah, it looked, uh, it looked accidental when I was watching. I'm mm -hmm. like, they totally kept that in there. So cinematography was by Carlo Monturori. His top four from IMDb are this movie, a short from 1907. Wow. A movie I've never heard of from 1931. And Il Teto from 1956. The roof? I don't know. I think that's what that translates to, Il Teto. It's, it looks good. You know, mm -hmm. if Kurosawa gets a lot of credit for shooting Seven Samurai all in the rain, that scene in the um, park or market when it starts to rain and they're kind of getting downtrodden, it's great. It's uh, mm -hmm. visual. I, and uh, I don't know, maybe Criterion restored this really well, but it's quite clean. and uh, Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's good imagery. Good imagery. Good imagery. So... There's a bunch of people who helped write this movie. It is based on a novel written by Luigi Bartolini. The screenplay is credited to Oresti Biancoli, Suzo Kechi D'Amico, Vittorio D'Arica, Aldolfo Franchi, Gerardo Gerardi, and Gerardo Guerreri. Wow. And then Cesar Savatini. Oh, there was another one. It's <laughs> a lot like, of hands. So many people yeah. are credited on this movie. Huh. Directed by Vittorio D'Arica. Luigi Bartolini was this Italian painter and poet. Nowadays, he's basically just known as the writer of Bicycle Thieves, the novel, that is, because uh, I could not find out much information about the book itself, although I do know that it is very different from what the movie ended up being. So they've really just used the name and some basic plot elements from it. Mm. 1945, Italian neorealism uh, kind of began with the movie by Roberto Rossellini, Rome, Open City. This would inspire Fellini and many of the other directors. And just to refresh us uh, on neorealism, like we said at the beginning, no sets. And then wherever possible, non-actors were used. Director Vittorio De Rica was coming off of his film called Shoeshine. Uh, it involves two shoeshine boys who get in trouble with the cops after they try and buy a horse. That's what the plot is of that movie. Neorealism, baby. It is well regarded among cinephiles, uh, but at the time, Dorica was having trouble finding funding to make his next movie. So he had this good movie that came out, was well liked, couldn't find funding to get his next movie. So he asked all those people I just named to jump in and help him fund this movie. 
Uh, he had just read the Bartolini novel and decided to use it as a jumping off point to explore the life of regular Italians in the post-war era. So he followed the neorealism tenets. As we said, the main actor, Lamberto, was an actual factory worker. Enzo, the little kid, was spotted while they were filming as he was helping sell flowers with his father. Uh, and then the final shot, he is using it as an homage to Charlie Chaplin. So many of his films ended with him walking off into the distance, uh, often with a kid beside him. So this is was a kind of a shout out to that. Now, upon its release, it was immediately looked at as a great work, although not in Italy. This is the fun fact about this. In Italy, it was pretty roundly criticized for prioritizing sentimentality over having, over having anything of substance to say. Our good friend, Lucino Visconti, director of Death in Venice, in fact, complained that the lead actor had been dubbed by a professional actor, which took, to, took away from the neorealism of the film. Bartolini, the author of the book, hated that the main character had been changed because the protagonist in his book was a middle-class intellectual. So he didn't like it that they brought him into the lower classes, Dave. However, when it comes over to America, famous New York Times film critic, I love this guy's name. I, you see his name all the time in old film books if you read them, but famous New York Times film critic, Bosley Crowther, <laughs> raved about it. So old Bosley loved it. Other directors considered it a, a work that greatly influenced them. Uh, chief among them, Orson Welles. Orson Welles loved this movie as well. And Martin Scorsese still considers it one of his favorite films. It would receive an honorary Academy Award as an outstanding foreign language film. This was just a couple of years before they began doing the best foreign film, now called Best International Feature. And in the first ever year of the Sight and Sound poll... It would be number one. Oh. This is when I point out all the people complained this year that films only made a couple of years ago showed up on the list at all. The very first year, a movie that was only four years old was number one. So I don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal. But does it, does it make the top 20 anymore? I don't think so. No, it does not. And that's what I was going to point out. Like, it's still beloved in many circles. It still ranks in the... I'm pretty sure it's still in the top 100. In 62, it dropped to seventh, and then it's been out of the top 10 ever since then. So that is uh, the brief history of this movie. Mm -hmm. There's actually not a whole lot written about it, interestingly enough, for being a bit of a seminal film. Redirect to you uh, comparing this to not knowing it on the same law as Seven Samurai. I mean, I think there's a reason why it's kind of fallen. All right, let me let me see how big the Wikipedia article is for Seven Samurai. Let me see who's going to eat crow. Seven Samurai is mm, twice as long. Yeah. Okay. I, I, why would you even? Not only right. is it culturally impactful to Japan. I mean, there's and five hundred words on this Toshiro Mifune in this thing. Yeah, it stars the greatest group of uh, actors of that generation. It has groundbreaking mm-hmm. cinematography. How many Italian and American directors have tried to remake this fucking movie? Who's remade Bicycle Thieves? Probably Nick Cage, if anybody. Gone in sixty seconds. Just this time with Kurosawa. Did you see that they've remade Ikiru? No. Yeah, it's an English film starring Bill Nighy, but it, it, it is Ikiru. Oh. Like, but it's not called that. It's called something like else. It's but new, or I just it's coming out. Like, oh. it's going to be out in like a month Why? or so. In well, I asked the same question, but still, I'm sure they're going to remake High and Low here pretty soon as well. It's only a matter of time. Yeah, you know, with noir beats, you could argue that there are so many pieces that are the same, right? In any, if we cataloged neo-noir kidnapping movies, I am sure there are a lot that could parallel high and low. Yeah. Do they have pink smoke though? (laughs) Bet they don't. You're definitely blowing smoke up something right now. I like the themes. I like the action. The thing, the thing that you're going to see, I guess, in my like score I'm going to give to this is that this was a film that I really liked. I don't know if I would say I loved it. Like, I didn't get into that That's far the thing, right? into what the I would say. Context, it's like, the visual context changed a lot. Yeah, I would say for people to watch it, I enjoyed my time. I would rewatch this probably in a few years if, if asked to, but it's not like it's when not I watch English. international cinema or watch older movies, this has not been jumped up to like the top of my list that like I loved. I mean, would you even go as far to say you would watch Seven Samurai before you watch this film? Yes. Of course would, you yeah. would, right? It doesn't make any sense. They're incompetent. All four plus hours of it. Yeah. Uh, just to be mean about uh, Death in Venice, his favorite scene was probably when that creepy old man was trying to pick up that little boy. <laughs> yeah. What the I know. fuck was that? 
It just came out of nowhere, and he's like, oh, you like this bell? You like this bell? How about this bell? And you're like, what the fuck? I thought fuck? that was... I think it shows the danger of just walking around aimlessly through the sure. streets with a small kid. Yeah, yeah. I do, I do like to... There was a big story in Toronto. There was um, a bike shop, and I'm sure this is in every major city, where the bike shop actually employs bike thieves. And so, everything that is stolen off the streets was funneling through this one shop. Anyways, they finally blew this thing open and it turns out they did exactly what's in this film. People would take a bike, sell it to this guy and he would Frankenstein the parts and sell them as used bikes. And it became mm -hmm. this sort of, um, you know, subtextual underground economy and bicycles, especially in Toronto, even though it's not that bike friendly, there's so many people with bikes because it's so expensive to drive. Uh, watching that scene where they're kind of inspecting piece by piece in the uh, market was mm -hmm. fascinating to me. I, uh, I thought it was fun. I really loved the actual stealing of the bike. Yeah. Because again, a lot of it is communicated visually because you see the one guy walk past, stop, turn around, look at the bike, come back, signal to the friend, different guy comes around. And then you know when they tell him to go to a certain door, he's like, no, no, they're throwing you off the, the, the scent type of thing. Uh, they're all in on it. Like there's just a whole group of them that are in on it. And it's like, it's impossible. Once, once they have that bike, there's no way you're getting it back. I do like to the final point, I suppose, the... Um family neighborhood commentary when the neighborhood rallies around this kid i mean he has a seizure so apparently he's epileptic right. although you know who knows what happens in reality there but it's also a class problem you know when you have a gendarme you know beat cop show up in a poor neighborhood whether a person's a committed a yeah. crime or not you know you are now inflicting harm on a larger community and i think that yeah. it was fascinating to watch essentially two um, reflections on poor people in Italy, right? The desperate father, who, but who's by mm -hmm. himself and his son. And then this neighborhood is protecting their son. Uh, it's hard, right? It's hard well, to watch Well, I think stuff. too, it's like, not that I've ever been a part of that necessarily, but there did seem to be this united effort. It's like, it's us against them. Right. Right. We are, we are here together. It's a very different thing. Like, I mean, there's so much classic literature about these type of topics. Like, Lee Miz is, is very similar, right? Like, do we, as an audience, chastise Jean Valjean for seeing a loaf of bread to feed a sick family? Well, no, we don't. But the police are like, absolutely, like, no, we must punish this person because that's what the law says without there being any humanity there. And I think this is challenging that to a degree. Both of them might be in the right if we like really started to peel it back. Like one is trying to help out their community. One is just trying to help feed his family. So neither are technically in the wrong um, Let's, uh, yeah, that's even though I, you are hurting someone else for stealing his bike. I always love Les Mis, like the book and the musical for mm -hmm. this is that, I mean, Javert is always a cartoon character, but you don't always feel that Jean Valjean is the good guy throughout the book mm -hmm. either, right? He's always presented with lose-lose situations. Right. So as so much as he's a protagonist, um, you know, it's existential theater, even though it predates Sartre. This film is the same thing. Like... I like the dad because he's trying to do his best, but he's also pig-headed, close-eared, kind of a shitty dad. He strikes his son. He gets his son drunk. You know, at the end, he has a complete moral collapse out of desperation, tries to steal another person's bike poorly. It's just, all right, it's so, so much tension, traumatic tension, because uh, then I got to go home, turn off the screen, turn around, wonder, would I do the same thing? Probably yes. Yeah. I think I would. Not anywhere close to what is going on in this movie, but like just to reveal a bit about uh, myself, uh, other the fiction of this podcast for a bit. But this past summer, my back is against the wall a little bit as far as like funds coming in to the point where I was like, I don't know if I can make my mortgage payment this month. Yeah. And this is getting really scary. And so, of course, I was like sad and like wallowed in that for like a day and a half. But then it was just like, okay, what do, what do I do? What can I sell off? What can I get rid of? How can I, can I get a quick influx of cash? Who can I ask for help? And it was just like, you make that plan and you go for it. If, it was, if I was super desperate, and especially if I was like, someone else was relying on me and it was like, either they eat or I steal this bike. Yeah, I'm going to steal this bike. Yeah. Of course I would. But what's interesting is afterwards, right? Like, can you live with it? And that's also mm -hmm. a complex topic. I don't know. What was it just? Oh, was, we watched uh, The Recruit on Netflix. And, it, you know, it's popcorn theater, uh, junk food. Uh, but just as a spoiler, what I did appreciate about the end is that the main character, who's like a, a genetic clone, who's taller, but he's basically Mark Ruffalo, right? I, I don't mm -hmm. know if you've heard of this guy. Helen says he does teen rom-coms on Netflix. So I'm sure you've watched a few. You know, he finally kills somebody and he just cannot 
fucking deal with it. It is just a, those kind of uh, little moments of self-reflection are always fascinating to me because there's the bravado of saying, well, if my kid's starving, I'm going to go out and punch this guy in the face and steal his wallet. But that's not where the story ends, right? Will you then take the responsibility and go to jail for that? You know, most people would be like, no, I'm not going to jail because I was justified. And that's when we get this culture. It's like these fucking idiots in January 6th or in Brazil now. They're storming the capital mm -hmm. in Brazil. You know, the bravado is like, well, we're going to fix the country. I'm going to fucking go and sit in the house you know, house chair or whatever with my buffalo hat on. But then they have to go to trial and they're like, well, you know, I didn't really mean it. You know, I, I thought it was, you know, I don't really want to go to prison. Right, right. It's like, fuck you. Well, you can see the other way. I, I, I know there's a film I've seen that did this, but the character of huge bravado says he's going to do his thing, has guns, all that kind of stuff. But when push comes to shove and he has to actually do something, doesn't. <laughs> Well, he's actually, it was in Dark Knight, yeah. right? With the boats mm. and the explosion. I mean, it's it's yeah, covered yeah. a lot. It's it's a fairly common psychological problem. But, you know, this movie did a good job of making me think, do I like this guy, right? And uh, I mean, it doesn't matter if you like the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, right. Anyways, it was good. It was good. We are done here. So the machine says that we do have to wrap things up here. So we're going to move on into critics' choice. This is the part of the show where we discover what critics thought at the time this film was released. Uh, besides Bosley Crowther or Bosley Crowther, I don't know what people thought. We so again, I'm going to use Roger Ebert and Pauline Kael. Roger Ebert wrote in part, uh, this was not really a review no, he that he wrote. Have. This is more like a, a summary with some of his thoughts uh, sprinkled through. Does it tell you when he watched it? Because it wouldn't have been when this movie was released. Oh, no, no. But this, like, the writing here, I think it, when it was, like, 70s, um, the 50th anniversary or something. So it was in the 90s, okay. somewhere in the 90s that he wrote this. This story is so direct, it plays more like a parable than a drama. At the time it was released, it was seen as a Marxist fable. In fact, Zavattini was a member of the Italian Communist Party. Later, the leftist writer Joel Kanoff criticized the ending as sublimely Chaplin-esque but insufficiently socially critical. David Thompson found the story too contrived and wrote, the more one sees Bicycle Thief, the duller the man becomes and the more poetic and accomplished the Sika's urban photography seems. True, Ricci is a character entirely driven by class and economic need. There isn't a lot of else to him, although he comes alive in the pizzeria scene. True, the movie doesn't make a point of contrasting his poverty with high-living millionaires, but if the film is allowed to wait long enough until the filmmakers are dead, until neorealism is less an inspiration than a memory, The Bicycle Thief escapes from its critics and becomes, once again, a story. It is happiest that way. He says you shouldn't look too deeply. This is really just a story <laughs> that you can take whatever lesson you want to from it. He's just struggling to try to give it two thumbs up is what it sounds like. <laughs> Technically, he could only give it one thumb up, but... Uh Pauline Kael wrote, This story of a poor man's search for a stolen bicycle is deceptively simple. At first, there is ironic tenderness, humanity observed with compassion but without illusion. Then, the search becomes an odyssey of poverty, encompassing much more than the realistic method leads you to expect. And the richness and the enigmas sneak up on you. What is the meaning of the, the seer's words? Oh, we forgot we about forgot that scene. About I want to come back to that. Yeah, yeah, How yeah. is it that the hero who is searching for the bicycle thief becomes a bicycle thief? This neo-realist classic is on just about everyone's list of the greatest films. It isn't a movie that warms you, though. It doesn't have the flawed poetry that Shoeshine or Miracle in Milan have. It's a more impersonal great film. So, uh, two things, yes, that I, we should say before we wrap this up. Number one, I actually really like that seer scene because it is such a truism. I don't believe fortune telling, but I'm telling you, if I'm in a certain mood and I have my fortune, I'm like, yeah, I am going <laughs> to do this thing. I, there is fortune going to come my way. There's something about it that when you're at your lowest, it's like, well, maybe, maybe this is a fortune coming to me at the right time. We should talk to a psychologist. There must be like an actual academic term about that. Not just the ambiguity of the snake oil, where they're just like, well, your fortune will turn. And you're like, it will. You know, it's just, it's bullshit. But our willingness to believe, which I think is a fascinating problem. I mean, his disdain at the beginning of the film, I mean, it's one of the reasons, I thought he was gonna lose the bike in the uh, third act, in the third scene, when he just left right. it with the kid. I totally agree. I thought like, oh, this is the scene where these get the bike is get stolen. So I, I actually like that. You know, uh, when he comes back with his tail between his legs and he goes to finally seek this advice and she's, what, I can't remember what she said, but she's like, uh, you know, if you don't get it today, you're not going to get it at all. Just <laughs> nothing. It's like, you're going to find it really quickly. You're going to not find it at all. Like that, it's like the stupidest <laughs> bullshit, Amazing. right? Yeah. It's but, like, but did you see thing, the, like, was it the John Edward Seeker in the nineties? He's like, uh, I'm thinking of an A, B, C, D. Does your name start yeah. with D? It's like, oh my God, you know everything about me. Well, here's the thing though, <laughs> which I thought was kind of neat is that she's not wrong. 
right? It's and not just the sort of ambiguity of like theft mm-hmm. in general and how it's just going to go into the system, but he had an opportunity immediately after that, whether he realized it or not, to actually win that fight. So the other thing is the name. I, I read up on this. So the direct translation does translate into bicycle thieves because it's a plural, plural? Okay. I think that they're using. However, when it first came to America, it was not. It was called the bicycle thief. Singular. Um, okay. There has been so much debate because then there's other people who even say it's like, well, technically the way that it's phrased, even in Italian, you could see it as the singular. I don't know. Don't read Italian. Could not even tell you. Yeah. I have to say, and that's how I was first introduced to it, was it being called The Bicycle Thief. I have books that still call it The Bicycle Thief. At the, at the end of the day, I don't think it matters. Although I do actually like The Bicycle Thief more. I like that idea of the duality of it being, oh, we think it's about the first bicycle thief. But in reality, it's about him who becomes a bicycle thief at the end. I actually like that duality a little bit more. Is not why plural works better? No, plural makes you think that there's going to be two. Whereas the one, you think it's only the first guy. All right, whatever. Dave, do you think this holds up or and is it still culturally relevant? That's the question we ask each week. You know, when you brought up your school, I, th- I think I too struggle with this. I think directors liking it seems to make it more relevant than it is. But as you brought up so succinctly, it is not a Seven Samurai. So I, I think it might be a no. There are timeless themes in know. it. I think it does. I think this is something that could still be enjoyed. Um, would it's it be hard. the first film I'd recommend if someone was like, I'm I'm interested in watching old or like non-English Tell cinema? Tell me about Italian maybe, neorealism. Yeah, fuck that. Maybe not. Like, no. But it would probably be on my short list of like, try this. If you like this, you'll probably like that sort of. I, sort of I don't thing. remember. Did you like Knights of Kiberia? I did. I liked it a little bit more than you did. Yeah. But I've always, again, this is the thing I always come back to. I always struggle with Fellini. I've never been a huge Fellini fan. Well, so sure. But that was would more you of my say... thing. I like this more than it, though. Oh, I like okay. this more than Knights of Kiberia. Okay. It's definitely a, a movie that makes narrative sense. The only thing this doesn't have is Giulietta Messina, oh, who wow. is phenomenal in that yeah. in that movie. But She would make every move a better. You know, we need to rate this movie, but before we do... That's what Dave and I thought. We want to know what you think. You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. We also release videos on our YouTube channel. If you want to see the entire list of films that we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page. That's letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing the podcast and not usher in the next apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There is a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month. And something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. Dave, out of five, what are you going to give Bicycle Thieves? I So I'm floating between a four and maybe a four. No, I'm going to go with a four. I feel like I was thinking about a four and a half just because of how much it's making me think about stuff. So I love the intellectual weight of it. But, you know, as we were talking about its relevance, would I ever watch this movie again? And frankly, I don't think I would. I don't, not Hmm. because it's bad. I just, it would never come across my mind that this is something I want to spend 90 minutes with again. So I'm going to give it a dip. I'm going to go with a four. Well, we're pretty aligned here because I'm giving it a four as well. That's mm. my that's my rating. I like this quite a bit. I'm probably not going to rush out, but uh, I enjoyed my time. I would watch this again. I think it's strong. Uh, I have a feeling, this is something I said when we talked about Tokyo Story. There's a feeling I have that this is going to become like even more relevant to me in like a decade or something. It's like, boy, this actually had its hooks in me more than I thought it actually did. Uh, that's my that's my sense, but we'll see I if that know. turns out to be true. I remember almost nothing about Tokyo Story. And I oh, know we're picking that's- fights on YouTube on that, but uh, how boring. So boring. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Dave, because this is only going to be going on to our Letterboxd Top 250 list. This is only tie with one other film. Would you rate this above or below Magnolia? Below. Interesting. Interesting. I was going to, thought we were going to fight about this because I was going to say the same thing. No. no. Magnolia is something I w- would watch again, but yeah. I'm a weird, I like that movie a lot. So I don't think that's weird. Is it? Is it weird? It's pretty well regarded. It is now. Magnolia was not when it first came out. It was actually pretty divisive amongst people, but it has grown to be pretty, pretty mm. well liked. I don't know. That means then, Bicycle Thieves is going to enter into our list at the new number 12 position, right below Magnolia, right above Fanny and Alexander. Mm. So that's what we're going to do. Dave, why don't you push the button to see what we're going to be watching next week? Which one? Our last episode before we start our new season. Ah. Actually, we're going to watch a color film, pal. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. 
It's uh, what is it? What does it say? It says uh, we will. We will feel a lot worse about ourselves after watching this. It's a Russian drama, <laughs> Stalker. Actually, I have no idea what this movie oh, is about, but I'm excited. Tarkovsky, yeah. Some have ponderous- we, uh, I don't think I've um, watched Russian filmmaking. I'm going to be excited to jump into it. I feel that you're not going to like this movie, but we'll see. I, I might be surprised. I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I do know that it's uh, ranked very high from a cinematography standpoint. Yeah, cinematography I've probably seen it, it looks fucking amazing. To, yeah, who knows? If it one car wise me, I'll probably give it a low, low mark. We'll see. All right. Again, all letters you can send to Mr. David Yen because I don't want to read them. What's the point of being positive? Nobody wants to listen to everybody just glad handing everything they watch. It's so boring. Um, I think you will find that you are incorrect. <laughs> You're definitely blowing smoke up something right now.